Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Happy Mama Movement podcast. I'm Amy Taylor-Kabaz, mama of three, author, and creator of Mama Rising. This podcast is dedicated to conversations with the world's leading experts on how we can support and value motherhood differently and mamas themselves, dedicated to changing their own definition of motherhood, all through the lens of the world-changing understanding of matrescence. Thank you for being here and thank you for being a part of the movement. Welcome back, mamas. As many of you may have heard on the grapevine, in social media, or even by my newsletter, I became a single mama at the end of last year. It wasn't the plan when I married and fell pregnant. I expected, hoped, and assumed I would be with the father of my children until the day I died. And over the last 18 months, It has been an incredibly hard but empowering and enlightening experience to redefine myself through this time. Single motherhood, no matter how you arrive there, whether it's by choice, through death, through a separation, through divorce, through so many different ways, is a different identity. It's not just being a mama in the way that the world assumes you are, the nuclear family, two parents together raising these children. It asks you to really look at who you are. It challenges you in ways that I never thought I would be challenged. And I have coached many, many women as they go through separation, divorce and single parenthood over the years. And yet, I was unprepared for what it really was like. That's why I really wanted to get my friend Jacinta Tynan on the podcast this week. Jacinta is a journalist, a mother of two boys, and an author. And her most recent book is The Single Mother's Social Club. And it's so good. It's not only Jacinta's experience of becoming a single mama, but it's also the insights of many, many women she interviewed. But what I love about Jacinta's approach to this is that, just like me, she's taking a spiritual look at what this experience is. What does this mean? How did I co-create this? Who am I becoming? How do I grieve the loss of my dreams? And how do I ensure that I rise into an even better experience of motherhood and life and maybe one day love 
than ever before. Even if you're not a single mama, I think you will get a lot out of our conversation. And if you are a single mama, then welcome to the Single Mothers Social Club. Enjoy. Jacinta, welcome to the podcast. It's so lovely to speak to you about this. You too, Amy. Thank you so much for having me on. Now, you and I have spoken many times over the years. In fact, you've been on my podcast one or two times before. I can't remember. But I wanted to get you back on, of course, because you have your new book out about being a single mama. So let's start with, uh, obviously, you are a single mama now and why you wanted to write a book about this. What was your intention when you set out to write about it? Yeah, the book's called The Single Mother's Social Club and it it does what it says on the tin. (laughs) I wanted it to be a community, I guess, in a book of single mums so that so that single mothers, no matter how they got here, whether they're separated or divorced or widowed or a single mother by choice, of which there's a growing brood, I wanted them to know that they're not alone and to read the stories of other single mums and see themselves reflected in those stories so that they can feel seen and validated and, and part of something bigger. Because single motherhood is a really isolating journey for many reasons. You do first of all, you're doing it on your own. You're the only no matter what the circumstances, you are the only grown up in that home, usually, unless you've repartnered, which I still think they're called single mothers, but that's another conversation. And so you're doing it alone. But also whether we like to admit it or not, there's still a stigma around single motherhood. It's still there. It's not as overt as our mother's generation thinks goodness but it's there so you often can feel like you're the only one that's got a family like that because the the narrative we're still fed is that the nuclear family is the preferred model and I think it is by the way if you can make that work because if you just do the mathematical equation yeah that would be great to have another parent there especially the parent of the children but that isn't always the, the how it pans out and that's okay in fact it can be better if it doesn't pan out that way so we're fed that line so we think if we're not doing it that way that we're alone in this and that's why I wrote the book and I wanted to uh, just reduce that stigma and to also provide practical tips and wisdom for, for single mothers and for people who are around single mothers which is guess what all of us exactly As many listeners would know, this is a new experience for me too. I um, have been a single mama now for 12 months, living, as you said, as the only parent in the house, and uh, my marriage began to end about 18 months ago. So I am still very much in this redefining of myself. You know, you and I have spoken lots of times about matrescence, about motherhood, as our identity as journalists, and then motherhood came along and how this has changed and helped us grow. You and I have seen each other at events like Gabby Bernstein and various things. I feel like we have shared many experiences along our path. I've been in a very masculine, male-dominated media industry and really shifting over to exploring who we are in this way. And so reading your book really helped me As you said, it's just reading the stories of other women's experiences of this and almost normalising it. As you said, it's still such an assumption that the nuclear family is the best. And I feel that everyone around me is not looking at me any differently because I'm now on my own, but I feel like everybody's looking at me differently. It's been very much a process of me accepting this new version of myself as well. 
in your experience of, is it six years on your own now? Yes. How has that been for you to really redefine there's a grieving process of this isn't what I thought it would be, this isn't how I thought I would parent, finding yourself in this, realising that, you know, you can make a happy family, you can still have everything you hoped you would in many ways. What's that been like for you? Oh, yeah. Well, first I wanted to say that I, you, you've said you think people are looking at you differently, but they're not. I find that they are. Mm. So I think it depends on the social circle you're in or even what part of the city you live in or whatever demographic you're around because I've definitely felt that. And I interviewed dozens of single mothers for the book and they all universally said one thing they all agreed on, again, no matter where how they arrived here, was this social exclusion that they've experienced once they became a single mum. So I do think there's a cognitive dissonance there. People don't even know they're doing it, but they do tend to look at you differently and exclude you so you obviously live in a wonderful community that 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 you're not going through that I do have a great community but you're right and I've experienced it on social media and in my programs of the women that I work with treating me differently now Mm. but yes anyway let's come back to your answer (laughs) yeah that's a whole conversation in itself exploring Mm -hmm. why that goes on but then I think for me it's that single motherhood was harder than I thought. So it was. I write in the book about how it wasn't something that I was afraid of. In fact, I used to envy women. Isn't that interesting? I, I checked my reaction on that. And I think when, when women would say in the workplace or friends or, that they were separating from their partner and they were going to be single mums, and I have a few friends that have single mothers by choice, and instead of me thinking, oh, gosh, that's so tough, I found myself, you know that if you really you can be really conscious about your emotions, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. I'm feeling a slight envy. So I was never afraid of going down that path at all and was kind of looking forward to, I mean, I had no other choice. For, for reasons I, I won't go into, but it really got to the point where there I was backed into a corner and I had no other choice for the good of my children and my family and for my own mental well-being. I had to make this choice. However, I didn't think it would be as tough as it was. I thought that it's like that it felt like the beginning for me, starting again, and it's all good from now on. And so I think that that's what caught me unaware is that it, I'm not going to gloss over that. It's really tough financially logistically, emotionally, and many other parts of all of those. It is tough and there's no shying away from that. And so, but then what is hidden in all of that for single mothers is a gift. And that is the gift of if you have a reckoning of some sort, which for single mothers, no matter if you, whether you think it or not, it is a reckoning, no matter how you got here. It is because life has not gone the way you planned. And even single mothers by choice will say that. One of them says in the book, well, it wasn't plan A. So life didn't pan out the way you planned. And therefore, when that happens in life, that's a gift because it's a chance to everything's fallen apart around you and your vision of your world isn't isn't on track. That's an opportunity to check in with yourself and do the work and find that self-awareness to look at your role in this. How did I end up here? Not that that's necessarily a bad thing, but how did I create this, co-create this, because I believe we all co-create. And then if I've done that, what else can I create? And so you will go through some pain and struggle, but I talk in the book about how that's not a bad thing either. How I write about suffering properly. So to suffer in a victim state is not going to get you anywhere, but you'll just stay in that loop. But if you can suffer from a place of 
acknowledging the suffering and really allowing those emotions to go through you, then from there you can you can let them pass through you and grow from that. It's called the hero's journey, isn't it? To face that challenge and to not run away from it, to dive into it, sink into it, and you will emerge evolved, more evolved and a different version than before. So there's the gift in it. And there's many other gifts in single motherhood as well. And so I have been on a spiritual journey. I was already on one, but I went further in and I've been through a lot of pain and struggle. And I feel like I am, a lot of women say this in the book too, I am not the woman that I was when this began. And that is a good thing. And so I really am proud of myself and I feel more strong than I ever was. I'm more self-aware and I'm more conscious and they're all the great gifts of going on this journey. I totally agree. I feel exactly the same. It's never what I expected my life to be like, but I am actually incredibly grateful for it now, even though it was the most heartbreaking experience. I'm incredibly grateful for it. I think I'm learning more about myself. I think I'm going to be happier than I ever would have been. And I get to have great conversations with my kids about who we choose to be. And I think that's been my favorite part so far is that, you know, they're in their own way going through a grieving and through a redefining of their family. But the the door that has opened up to conversations amongst um, my three kids and myself now about what does a family look like? What does love look like? Who do we want to be? What is forgiveness? Um, how do we co-create? just really bringing emotions to the surface and talking about them. I feel like the depth of connection that I now have with these three children is deeper than it ever would have been. What's the experience for yourself and also all the women that you spoke to about what we do to ourselves as single mothers and and the guilt that we carry or the worry we carry about what this is doing to our kids and yet at the same time, there's a very profound relationship you build with your children as a single mother at the same time as well. Yes, it's it's you don't see that coming either. That's a part you don't think about because I think you're in survival mode a lot when you become a single mom. Again, I say that for all uh, circumstances of how you got here. And I think that often it's about keeping your head above water at the start and so you're not really – um, conscious perhaps of uh, of the bigger picture like I say with single motherhood you pr- you're playing the long game you really are and so it's that added that accumulation of all of the moments but what I found is when I interviewed all of the women for the book they all talked about because I've got a chapter called the upsides and they all and there are many but they all talked about the autonomy but also that incredible bond with your kids and that's a gift and that is because it's simply the logistics if you think about it if there's another adult there they divide your attention and that's great if you've got a great marriage or partnership that's fantastic what a wonderful thing to um, have that opportunity to have your attention divided in that way but if you don't then when you put the kids to bed then you have dinner together and so you're talking together. You're not like, excuse me, I was talking to your father. You know, it's just you're all together. Then you put them to bed and I get into bed with them and we read a story every night. We've barely missed a night their entire 
lives actually. But if there's another adult there, it might be oh, a quick hurry to get them to bed so you can go and have dinner with your partner and maybe watch some television with them or catch up with them. And so there's none of that pressure. It's just it's just us and you feel like a team. You have holidays together and it's just you. And so you have these moments where, well, I have where I, I'm doing these trips with them or I'm on, a, I'm on a long road trip or on a flight or I've taken them skiing by myself. Oh, God knows how I did that. Luckily, I have my ski instructor. <laughs> instructor background but I look at them and I I think wow I'm doing this now that is just such a wonderful uh growth opportunity for yourself as well so in all of this there's that bond with your kids but the the growth that you're giving yourself in that moment and also you're role modeling to them you're you're role modeling to your children that this is possible that you're capable of anything and that they may not see that they may not see that empowered woman seeing as we're talking about motherhood that empowered woman gets to shine through and you get to show your girls what that looks like you get to show your boys how to treat an empowered woman you've got the autonomy in the home to set that thermostat so that, that no one else is intervening in that and it's just an invitation to be that mum you always wanted to be so for those who've left a relationship because it's not everybody of course but for the single mothers who've left a relationship your children get to see that the relationship you were in is not the model you want for them and so you, you can show them that you, you know you hear people saying I'm staying in the marriage for the kids don't we hear that all the time I think my parents did that for far too long but then that Glennon Doyle has said this, you know, she realized I'm staying in the marriage for my daughter, but is this the marriage I want for my daughter? So there's that. That's it. When I heard her say that, that just rippled with me so well. It's like, don't stay for the kids. I mean, maybe for a bit you need to, you don't just bail at the first opportunity, hang in there till you know that that's exhausted, but don't stay for that reason. That's not a good enough reason. Leave for the kids. Actually, that might be the thing to do for the kids. And I think, I know, I think about my two teenage girls, well, one tween and one teenage girls, and I do feel that that's going to be the next generation's insights into relationship. Um, I think this idea of forever and ever, amen, no matter what, is is changing with every single generation. It's going to be incredibly interesting to see what happens in the future. So I don't like the word self-care. <laughs> It's uh, it just is too many years of hashtag self care, and we automatically assume it means a massage and a pedicure. But also, in my work, I think too often the idea of self care is yet another thing on a woman's to do list that she needs to take care of. Ultimately, we want village care, we want communal care, we want societal care. However, when you're talking about single motherhood. And it is probably something that she's going to have to at least organize for herself or organize time around so she can go and do it. In your experience, again, when you've spoken to all of these women, ultimately, how does a mother who is the single parent in that house look after herself in a realistic way, in a mindful way, in a way that actually makes a difference and isn't just, you know, a haircut every six weeks with a quick pedicure on the way home? What does real self-care for single mothers look like? Well, I think it's an individual thing for starters because some women would like that pedicure and bubble bath. It's not my thing. But I do think that it's really important when you've been through something like this because, as I've said before, it is a reckoning and you have been through the fire when you're a single mum. No matter what, 
even if you don't want to admit that to yourself, you've been through the fire. And so getting conscious and doing the spiritual work, if you don't want to call it that, it's just becoming self-aware, that is self-care to me and I think that it would benefit all women to, to see that as self-care. So I I remember uh, I put this in the book. There's a chapter I called The Self-Care Revolution and I got that from Elizabeth Gilbert who I went to see speak and she talked about, I want to see a revolution in women relaxing. <laughs> like we know women can do everything. We've got that. We all know we're super capable warrior women and a lot of single mothers where you have to get into that masculine energy just to survive. So we're all about being with the disciplinarian and we're trying to get stuff done and we're looking after our kids and we're trying to make money and, and, and keep the roof above our heads and it's all masculine energy. So, in fact, the self-care is to go into that more spiritual self-aware side of ourselves and just be, be conscious and be present with our children and with ourselves. So find a way to do that, and there are many ways to do that. I meditate twice a day, and I wouldn't be standing if I didn't. So that's my thing, but it's not everybody's thing. So find the thing that lights you up, that makes you feel alive and makes you feel like a kid again. That's self-care. So whatever that looks like to you. But here's the non-negotiable. Find it. Find it. Do it. You have to uh, for the good of yourself and for the good of your kids. Mm. I know you've been daily meditating for many, many years. Can you, for those of you who don't know, the story of you really coming to all of these spiritual practices, you say you wouldn't be standing today without them. What has been in your six years of single motherhood, what has been that spiritual practice and what has it brought to you? It is meditation. That's a non-negotiable for me. I started meditating when I was pregnant with my first son and he's now 12, so 13 years or so. And I did that because I didn't think I would be a good mum. I was really worried about it. And so I thought, gosh, I better get some tools because I was such a stress head. And then I wrote a book, which you've interviewed me about, called Mother Zen. And that was when I wasn't a single mum, but it was about me trying to be more present um, as a mum and not miss these moments. So that, I, I still do that. And I know that I would have collapsed in fetal position on the floor. By the way, I still did collapse in fetal position on the floor, but I got back up. <laughs> so I may not have got back up if I wasn't meditating. So that's my thing. And then I just think I love having a spiritual practice and I love that constant evolution and growing as a person. I really find it fascinating, the idea of human potential, what we're capable of and the constant discovery. So in that time since single motherhood, how have I upped that? Well, I do kinesiology. That's again, that's, that's, I'm not saying everyone has to go and do that, but I found that incredibly beneficial. And if you don't know what that is, just look it up. It's really interesting about peeling back the layers of, of our childhood and why we react the way we do to things. I journal a bit. I find that journaling difficult because I think as a writer, I censor myself too much, but when I do it, I find it really powerful. And I have much more faith in the universe and in spirit. And I connect with that higher power a lot more. And I will talk to that, whatever you want to call that God or the universe or a higher power or your higher self. I talk to that place a lot more and I'll ask those questions and I find the answers come and so I have surrendered I write about surrender in the book I have surrendered I have been on the floor I have prayed and said help me in the middle of the night it's always in the middle of the night isn't it when you have these breakdowns and I have found that there is something there there's something 
holding me up and there's some trust that I have more than some. There's a huge trust I now have in that everything is evolving as it should. And if you've got that belief going on, it's really comforting because no matter what comes at you and as a single mum, stuff comes at you, let me tell you. And then if you can just remember, oh, that's okay, this is meant to pan out this way. And so I'll ride through the storm. It's far more empowering than resisting it. Why is this happening to me? I don't like it. And running the other way, it'll chase you, <laughs> let me tell you. So you've got to dive into it and just surrender to it and ask what the lessons are in this moment. I love that so much. I couldn't agree more. But I think one of the things, if we could just dive into it even a little bit deeper, because this is what you know the mummers who love this podcast are all about, The thing that I've struggled with over the last 12, 18 months of this process of myself is that there's definitely a level of surrender there and I've always trusted in the universe knowing where I needed to go and that everything is happening for a reason, not in a spiritual bypassing way of, oh, that's okay, you can do whatever you want to me because everything happens for a reason, but in a true, as you said, deeper faith. But there's now a part of me, and I wonder if it will soften over the years, but there's now a part of me that's a little afraid, is probably the right word, of holding on to anything too strong because I thought I would be married to this man forever. And that didn't work. So now when I think about big things in my life, the big things that I'm hoping for or I want. There's a tiny part of me that's like, oh, yeah, but don't hold on too tight, Amy, because you just never know. And that, I find that incredibly sad. I find that a a place that I've never been in before because I've always believed that anything is possible. So I wonder for anyone listening who, like me, is still processing this, and maybe we're all still there, Maybe someone who's listening has been a single mama for 10 years is still like, Amy, that might always be there. But I would love to hear your thoughts and reflections on. It's almost like a loss of innocence when a marriage or a long-term partnership that involves children breaks down because it is the biggest hopeful investment of your life to say to someone, I want to make babies with you and we're going to do this together. And when that doesn't work there's a bit of a loss of innocence in us yeah and it's the absolute death of a dream I guess so I find that hard to relate to because I actually didn't have that without going into my circumstances too much I I don't think I ever saw it as for various reasons Um, Mm. there were signs early on that this was not going to be my life path but I was just trying to be present with it and see where it went so I just say that as a disclaimer to say I'm not uh, right where you are where you've had this beautiful love story and you thought this was it I can't imagine that how crushing that must be and then on top of that you've got these kids as looking at you looking to you to guide them on this uh, this next path of their life and you feel responsible for changing the trajectory of of their lives well I'll speak for myself I feel responsible for that and I think I'm now holding your emotional well-being in my hands and it's 
and this part makes me emotional because no matter again how you arrived at single motherhood, and I say that in every case except for widows, I think, that we hold some responsibility for changing the course of their lives and it's not what they've chosen. I mean, on a deep spiritual level, guess what? They did choose it, but not on this level. And so the guilt of that, and I remember saying to my children on the first night, I literally said these words to them as they were sleeping on the first night when we left the family home and we we came to this rental place with no furniture and I just said, trust me. And I think as single mothers, we're asking our kids to trust us every day. We may not use those words, but we're constantly saying, trust me, because we're the grown-up here and we're the only grown-up in the family, in the home, I should say. Some have a co-parent in another home. But we are asking them to put their faith in us to hold their hands and say, I've done this big thing, but but I've done the right thing. And you're going to, you're just going to have to put your faith in me on that. And so, yes, how do we deal with that loss of the dream? I think it's, there's a gift in that as well. And people might be listening to this saying, oh, shut up. I don't want to hear about any more gifts. <laughs> it feels hard. <laughs> it feels hard. It doesn't feel like a gift, but it is because you can guarantee that if wherever you are right now is where you're meant to be, and we know that. Well, us, us, those of us on the spiritual path do know that. We might need to remind ourselves, but we know it. And so if you hang on to that past, you need to grieve it, absolutely. But if you keep hanging on, why isn't it like that? And I wanted that. You can hang on for a little bit because that's healthy and let go gradually. But there'll be a time when if you can really just let that go and go, it is what it is, and I'm not meant to be on that path, that's the freedom. And that's the freedom to grow and that blank slate, the the blank canvas to create your life from here. But if you're hanging on to the past, you'll never create from here. And then on the other side of that, that's where we will then look back and join those dots because you can't join them at the time and see that, oh, I see why that happened. Thank goodness it did. But don't deny yourself the, the grieving, as you say. Don't spiritually bypass it. But there's a time. There's a sweet spot. There is a sweet spot. And as you said beautifully, each of us will have our own timing of this. Each of us will need our own practices, our own spiritual practices, our own daily practices to get us through this. I know for me, again, it was survival at first, like you said, for a really long time. And then the grief only just hit me a few months ago. Because it's only then, it's almost like the nervous system then says, okay, we're safe now. <sighs> and then things can come up. How important is it for us as women, as single mothers, to have this social club sense, to be able to see each other in each other, to be able to be more open and honest about this and to feel like we're not alone? I'm only realizing how vital it is actually since I've been getting feedback about the book. I knew there was something there. That's why I wrote it. I knew there was a need to feel part of a community and that you're not the only one. But the feedback I've been getting from readers is all about that that line of I feel seen I see my story in other people's. It's all that sort of thing. And one woman said, this is the first time I haven't felt pain in months. And there's been someone else said, this book is my best friend. I want to hug it. <laughs> you know, just some beautiful feedback like that. So that's it's really hitting me now how much we need that because I do think that often you don't understand something unless you've been through it. So we can be as empathetic as we like, but unless we've felt that. And so that's why it's very healing to turn to people who get that experience. And so you've got, you might have lovely understanding friends who are there for you, but then if they're in their nuclear family and they just really don't know that sense of, 
of constantly day in, day out, making meals for the kids on your own and then, oh, I forgot the groceries, get them all in the car and quickly get up the street to get those. And then you've got assignments due and, oh, no, the washing's on the line and it's raining. And and then, oh, gosh, I've got a story in my case because I'm a journalist. I've got a story due, so you're up to 1 a.m. doing that and all those realities and then the, the house is a mess and, you know, on and on. Unless you've lived that, you can't imagine it, what that's like. Even we're out of milk, I can't just get someone to get it on the way home. I have to put the kids in the car and go and get the milk. So that's why it's important that we have other women who've been through what we've been through to talk to. And if we don't have that, there's this book where you can see these experiences and see yourself in it. Oh, I'm not the only one. Oh, she gets that too. Oh, that woman's been through what I've been through. And that's what I wanted to create um, if we can't have it in real life have it in a book and that's and it is the gift of that community and it can come from a book it can come from a podcast just hearing other experiences making you feel so acknowledged and seen and you know even this morning I got a phone call from my middle child who went to school today in rang in tears at 8.58 in the morning um, because today was meant to be mufti. So outside of New South Wales, Australia, that means casual clothes. Uh, It's not called that in many parts of Australia. I've lived all over Australia and it took me about three years to know what that meant when I moved to Sydney. Just devastated. Everyone else is in casual clothes, mum. You know, we forgot and whatever. And that instant feeling. And in my mind, Jacinta, it was this, you know, the voice in my head was, this is too much for me to do on my own. How can I keep on top of all of these little things? And that's the, I talk in my work about that inner mean mama. It's just that voice that we have to be so mindful of, of in those moments, taking a breath and saying, Amy, it's okay. You have been handling so much lately. We missed a casual school day. That's okay. Do a U-turn, go back, pick her up some clothes, drop it off. But instead of going into that spiral of, oh, no, God, this is so hard. Why do I have to do it on my own? Rah, rah, rah. Really taking those moments to acknowledge how hard it is, but then be incredibly kind to ourselves about how we're doing this and how well we're doing it. Yeah, because nobody else tells us that. So we have to tell ourselves. But I also want to add there that I think that I actually wrote in the book about how as single mothers, we overcompensate with the kids. And maybe if you're in a nuclear family, don't do that. You know, you do, oh, well, they need to learn the lesson the hard way. They forgot their lunch or they could have looked at the thing and reminded me it was Mufti Day. But as single mums, I'm like, sorry, I'm going to drive across town and drop the goggles off to swim. so true. I've done that because I don't want them to have the wrong goggles because they suffer enough, these kids. They've been through enough overhaul. They already feel different and I don't want them to be conspicuous anymore. So I interviewed a few mums who talked about that. One woman talked about her daughter forgetting her phone on an away trip with a camp with school. So she drove an hour and a half to drop her off the phone. And so we do that because we're like, you, you've been through enough. You don't need to learn resilience. You've learned resilience. That's so true. And in the end, I did talk to my daughter about this is your responsibility too. You're in high school next year and whatever. But you're right. There is a level of, and I have to look, total transparency here. I'm also not as strict on chores since I've been on my own. Mm-hmm. And I've caught myself on that and have said to my kids, this is going to change. It's been 12 months now. Mummy can't do it all on her own. But there was this story in me that said they've been through so much. We had to move homes twice. It's, da, 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 da. it's all of that. And we do overcompensate. It's really interesting. I want to finish by saying this, though. Over the years, I don't know why. I don't know if I was gathering evidence before I even knew I needed it. But I always used to notice in interviews of 
very successful people, authors, journalists, celebrities, actors, musicians, didn't matter, businesswomen, businessmen, how often these incredibly successful people referred to their single mothers. It was it often stood out to me for years because I'm obviously like you, a journalist and always reading, always consuming, whatever. And I remember thinking many years ago, gosh, so many of these incredibly focused and successful women refer to the examples, the resilience and the strength of their single mothers growing up. And I've carried that over the last year and a half or so of remembering that even though (laughs) this is hard and I'm not always sure I'm doing it right like any of us, there is lessons that my kids are getting from this as well. And it's always stood out to me that we can be these examples of phenomenal strength and resilience and softness and love in this role. It is a gift. There are gifts in this. And I love how you continue to remind us of that. Yeah, I agree with you, Amy, and I must have been storing that up too because I actually wrote about that as well in the Single Mothers Social Club of all these incredible people who's, who were raised by single mums. And I also say we want our kids to be these empathetic and wise and generous kids and all the qualities we want in our kids and content and present and, and striving for the best. And But we want them to do that not not in spite of being raised by a single mother but because of being raised by a single mother. Yeah. Exactly. Ah, beautiful. Thank you so much for putting this out there. Thank you for your courage. I know it's uh, to, to almost be a spokesperson for this. I know that's not what you wanted. We've had many personal conversations, but in a way that is what you're becoming because we needed one. So I'm so glad that it's you because you come to it with such a beautiful spiritual approach and it can be a role that is um, often complained about and often the the hardship of it is front and centre because it is hard. But the way you bring it to us is to remind us that there are gifts in this. So thank you so much. Thanks for giving me a platform, Amy. I appreciate it. And you're a role model too in this as well, whether you like it or not. Getting there. (laughs) Not yet. I may be getting there. (laughs) Thank you. As I said a number of times in that interview, I am still in the very early stages of this experience. It's not something I ever expected I would have to face in my life. But now, 18 months into it, I truly believe, even deep, deep down, that this will be the making of me. I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be happier than ever. And my kids are seeing that. I get to show them what it looks like to, yes, have your heart broken, but then rebuild that heart with forgiveness, love and trust to find yourself again and to rise up. So if you, beautiful mama, are going through any experience like this at the moment, or really any grieving of a dream and finding yourself rebuilding and rising, hope you found comfort in these words with Jacinta and I. Please share on social media what most resonated with you and tag the both of us. We want to hear from you. And as always, if you know any mamas who will benefit from this conversation, 
send them the link right now. We change the way mothers are valued and seen in our society and our world by bringing these conversations to light and spreading the whispers of matrescence. And so I ask you to be a part of this movement now. Speak to others around you about matrescence, about your experience of motherhood. Let's bring it to light together. And if you would like more understanding of this, more insights into how matrescence has changed you, go to amytaylorkabaz.com forward slash matrescence and receive your free ebook, The Matrescence Map so you can understand it even deeper. Thank you for being a part of this. Until next week, Satnam. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.